Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with a bald faced truth. Washington State will be traveling to Corvallis on Saturday night. Racer Stadium, Oregon State, the home team, 8 and 1 in their last nine. Jake Dickert, the Washington State football coach, is joining us. Uh, let, let's, you know, how are you feeling? How are you kind of in the progression of your week? Like, where are you at right now, Coach? Well, I just think we're on the final stages of our preparation. You know, we always do no sweat Thursday, so a very high mental day and take the physicality off of our players before we get into Fast Friday. Just ready for another great meeting space this afternoon, and it's a constant state of preparation as we work through kickoff. So that's kind of where we're at in this game against a really good Oregon State team. What do you see on film when you look at Oregon State? Physicality 101, and I think uh, it's credit to Coach Smith and his coaching staff and how they've developed this program and the depth of their program. And, you know, I just – we got to win the line of scrimmage. You know, I think that's where they have had the advantage really in my first two years here, uh, especially on our defense. And it'll be a really important matchup between our O-line and their D-line and then our D-line – or their D-line versus our O-line. So a lot of physical uh, style of football, and I think they're playing extremely, extremely hard on defense. You guys uh, will be without a running back, without a receiver. I think you got an offensive lineman who's got to sit out in the first half. How are you feeling about the guys that will fill in? I think we're in the same spot, John, as everybody else in the country. It's week seven. We've won seven straight games, and, you know, some of those hits add up. So the next man, just like we talk about all the time, the next man has to be ready. And this will be us putting our culture on display of how those guys are finally going to get their opportunity to go out there and make plays, and we can't miss a beat. So that's been our mentality all week. It's the mentality of our program. Uh, we got to overcome a little adversity and, and play our style of football. I've been thinking a lot about home teams and what the home field is worth. Do you, you know, like traditionally people will say in the NFL, you know, it's worth three points, but I think it's bigger in college football. I think it's bigger in the Pac-12. What do you think the home field is worth? Well, I think it's a valid point. You know, I think each setting is different. The energy of each stadium is different. The mentality of each student section and, and fans is different. So I agree with you, but I don't think it's plus three for everybody. Right. You know, I know Oregon State is going to be a, a ruckus crowd. I mean, we've talked to the USC guys about how, you know, even with a half stadium, they had to go on some silent counts, and it was loud. So the impact everyone, uh, you know, in Corvallis is going to have in this game is going to be high. Uh, but at the end of the day, those are outside influences, right? So I'm not a big plus three, minus three guy. It's what our guys need to do within the 100 yards of the field and not letting the outside influence uh, factor their performance. Jonathan Smith said that Ben Gulbrinson is headed towards starting. Sounds like he may be the starter at quarterback. How different is Oregon State with him back there, Chance Nolan back there, and as a coach, there's some gamesmanship there. Like, you know, you never know who's going to show up, but – how do you approach that? 
people did text me that yesterday, and I said that's a hundred percent means uh, no one's going to start. That's exactly <laughs> what that means. Yeah. So what we prepared for both. I think they're very similar players. You know, obviously 10 has just seen more opportunities and, and has been in bigger moments and all that stuff. But I think, uh, you know, Oregon State, John, did exactly what good teams do last week. Okay, they went on the road with a backup quarterback and found a way to win. That's what good teams do. And uh, credit to them. And uh, I'm sure they were excited about how they did it. And it was probably kind of a miraculous ending. But they did what good teams do. And that's winning with your backup quarterback. And, you know, here's what I know about young players. Typically, the more they play, the better they get. And I think that's what will happen for 17. We're talking to Jake Dickert, Washington State head coach. Cam Ward, he's had uh, some really nice moments, some other moments, uh, you know, where he struggled a little bit. What do you think the difference is when, when Cam Ward's going well and when he's struggling? I think it's not just Cam Ward. You know, I, I know Cam and I talk often about the two you know, highest praised and highest criticized guys in our program are going to be me and him. And we accept that and we own that. And it's our job to constantly get our team better. Uh, but it's a consistency of, of offense. You know, it's not one player, you know, so it's protection. It's his reads. It's his confidence in going through a progression and it's running the right route. So, I, you know, a lot of the pressure goes on Cam, but I try to always disperse that. You know, I'll take that as a coach. We need to get better in a lot of areas. And consistency is the biggest one that we can affect. So, you know, it's been a big emphasis this week on making your play, you know, and you can't make those plays on Saturday. You have to do it throughout the course of the week. So that's kind of what I see when I look at our offense in particular and not just Cam. Coach, you know, you, you've you got a, a defensive background as an assistant, and I'm curious just to know what you think about, you know, in the NFL we got this roughing the passer thing that's going on, and, in college football, you have targeting and you have roughing to worry about. How do you coach guys? How do you coach guys, on, especially on the defensive side of the ball, when they get to the quarterback, you want to keep them in the game, but you also want them to be aggressive. So how do you coach that? Yeah, I'll start, John, by saying, um, you know, the, the rules of the game has helped player safety, and I'm 100% for player safety, right? So that's first and foremost. The data backs that up 100%. Okay, so now as a defensive coach, you know, we always talk about the strike zone. We talk about leading with your shoulder. We talk about eyes up. And we show and teach those moments every time they come up and practice in the game and really emphasize them. Okay, and then the second thing, as we say, is play fast, right? And things are going to happen in a violent game that is played a million miles an hour. Okay, and we have to accept those, and I accept those. And, uh, you know, we had a situation last week where we got a targeting call on an old lineman. That is a rare thing, right? So it's one of those things where you have to play fast in the course of the game, and you have to live with some of the aggressive penalties too. So I think it's a double-edged sword, but I'm all for player safety. I think it's very important. I think the rules have helped that. Uh, but at the end of the day, this is a, a violent game, and it's played really fast and physical. So some of those things will happen. All right, give me an idea, because you mentioned kind of like, you know, everybody's kind of at this week seven point nationally. How do you keep guys energized, focused? Uh, they're physically beat up. Um, they're in sort of the mid part of the season that, you know, can bring, uh, can, can bring some distractions. How do you get your guys and keep your guys engaged? Well, I think it's our guys falling in love with the little things. You know, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, when adversity strikes, the first thing the coach says is we need to get back to the fundamentals. You know, I, I think here at Washington State, I never want to leave the fundamentals. And, 
it, it's a coaching, it's a passion. And our guys, I talk about it often, every day you wake up and we have a 6.50 a.m., you get to choose your energy, right? So I, I think we've really hit this week with a lot of purpose and a lot of intent and just showing how the little things will compound. And we're still building this program, right? So there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes of development, uh, not just for our starters, but for our whole program and team. So there's a lot of work to be done. I think the carrot of the bye week being on the back end, I think really allows our guys to say, hey, let's pour it all in. And this is in a, a game that can be a separator in this league. And these are the games that, you know, we want to consistently, you know, have a chance to win, um, you know, against the Pac-12. So going on the road, I think our guys are plenty motivated, and we have, we've had a really great week of practice. We have parent-teacher comps this week in our kids' elementary school, so I'm bouncing over there and doing that. Does, does Jake Dickert do a parent-teacher conference? Well, it's amazing. Uh, four weeks ago, uh, my daughter's in sixth grade. I got a chance to go be a middle schooler for a night, right? <laughs> so each, each class was five minutes. You got to meet and talk to the teachers. She got to show me her locker. Uh, we got to eat a late supper lunch that they would at school. Uh, I enjoy those moments. I enjoy being a dad. I don't believe football defines me. Uh, I got an opportunity a couple Fridays ago to see my boys play flag football and uh, see my daughter play volleyball during a home game. Uh, and then next week on the bye week, it's perfect. It's parent-teacher conferences here in Pullman. So I'm going to have an opportunity to go, and I'm beyond excited about that because when I come home, we don't talk ball. You know, we, we talk about family and, and what they need to be doing in school and having some fun, too. So, absolutely, I, I get an opportunity to go to conferences as well. Yeah, that work-life balance is really important. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, it's the same in our household. We have three daughters over here. But do you, do you remember, you know, a favorite teacher you had growing up, somebody who made an impact in your life? Oh, it's the fastest thing to come to mind. It's Mrs. Denor, my fifth-grade English teacher. Um she just had one of those impacts on me, and we had such a fun relationship. And uh, she mentored. We had a little group of us that she really mentored us in, into where we were at that point in our life. And uh, just the relationship, I think, that we've built that I've many times when I've been back in northern Wisconsin, I've had an opportunity throughout my life uh, to get back with Mrs. Denor. She came to my wedding, sends me messages uh, quite frequently. So it's been a special relationship, and it's easy uh, to think of that when uh, you ask me that question. Yeah, I love that. I love that she popped into your mind. I love that she was at your wedding. That's phenomenal. That's making yeah. it. Yeah. 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 And then I didn't even finish uh, in the same town as her. So there was just so much respect level that, uh, you know, we had, and we got an opportunity to stay in touch. It was a uh, it's just a great relationship, and, and she really mentored my life. I know that you, you know, you'll think football and you'll watch film and you'll be prepared, but, you know, do you read? Do you binge watch TV? What do you do when you need like a half an hour just to kind of clear your mind of the football before you get back to it? Yeah, I'm not a TV guy. I mean, I really haven't watched TV since the season started. I and I don't even watch much football games because every once in a while, John, that stresses me out. Yeah. Uh, like the situations of what I want to do. I, we really just spend time with family. And like I said, I play football boys in the hallway, and they have their touchdown. I have my touchdown. And, you know, we'll play a little uh, volleyball with my daughter. I, I try to be active more than not. And uh, those moments are so precious during the season. So not a, not a TV binge watch guy. So um, open to when I get those moments to really be engaged and have a conversation with my family. Can you watch flag football or volleyball and just be a parent? Or are you evaluating <laughs> hustle, footwork, 
hey, are you mentally engaged? Because I wrestle with that. (laughs) Here's the funniest part, John, is that when we go to these games, I'm quiet, and my wife is the one that is getting after the boys and their effort and the coaching, and she is, you know, she is on it. And I'm pretty, you know, I just observe. You know, the only thing I said after the last, I was so impressed with the opponent's uh, flag football coaches. They were running plays with no huddle with kindergarten through second graders. <laughs> I was like, guys have a future. I might, I might want to get them in the building a little bit. So other than that, I get an opportunity to take pictures and videos and enjoy. And, and trust me, my wife takes care of everything else. I love that. Uh, we're talking to Jake Dickert, the Washington State football coach. All right, uh, I asked, I've asked the other coaches this, and I get a variety of responses, but when are you having the most fun as a coach? You know, it's amazing for me. Um, you know, like I said, I I love Friday nights. You know, it's an opportunity for me. We have one of our three team meetings of the week, and I don't just talk about the game. I talk about life. I talk about culture. We actually are reading a team book uh, every Friday night. We read a new chapter, and it's those connecting moments. And I tell our guys all the time, the scores will fade the moments will last forever. You know, and I try to get them to understand, like, live in this moment. Right? These 20 minutes, we get to do this as a team, and we'll do trivia night, and we'll sing the school song, and, and we'll get serious and do what we need to do the next day. But live in those moments. And I try to remind myself as a coach to do the same thing because, you know, I, I love this team, John, and I want to coach this team as long as I can, and we need to earn more opportunities. But the season goes by so fast. Uh, those are the moments that I – I just really look back on and have a chance to mentor people and, and to see their faces when, you know, we have those good meetings and good messages and show them great things they're doing and fire them up a little bit. You know, I, I live for those things. So that that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. What are you guys reading? Uh, the Twin Thieves. Um, it's a book that actually uh, Steve Jones, uh, one of my former teammates, who went on to be a wildly successful, uh, the winningest coach in Wisconsin history, and he wrote a book during COVID, and it's overcoming the fear of judgment and the fear of failure and how they rob us of a lot of our joy and giving them a toolbox uh, to attack those things. You know, I'm a big believer in sports psychology, and, you know, just a lot of different things that, uh, you know, my number one job, John, I know I get judged on winning games, but it's really protecting these guys' future and the men that they're going to become in this world. So I just think of a lot of different ways to present the same messages that are within our culture, and, and uh, it's been fun, and it's very interactive, and, and then hopefully our guys really appreciate appreciate it when they're you know my age at some point. Yeah, I, I love that concept, the, the, the twin thieves being failure and judgment and the fear of failure, the fear of judgment, and... Uh, I think that book, that book too, also deals with leadership and how good leaders yeah. are good listeners. Exactly right. There's so many concepts for our guys because I think there's pressures on today's student athlete that nobody talks about, you know, and that really derives from social media. And to put yourself out there in today's world is a hard thing. People are scared of getting judged, right? And their fear of failure and sports performance paralyzes players. It does out there. And, you know, self-talk and overcoming mistakes and what we talk about the learn burn return method to overcoming adversity you know so create a toolbox don't just talk about it and weaponize your players against these things and it's been a great resource for us as far as creating a championship mentality okay because champions act like champions way before they become champions right so 
I know that's real philosophical, but it's a little glimpse of a window of how we try to train our players. And, um, you know, Saturday will be a big test of that. All right. Coach, I appreciate you uh, giving us a book recommendation and giving us some of your time. Wish you the best. Good luck to you. Always, John. Appreciate what you do for our league. Yep. Thank you. Oprah Winfrey's got the book club. Maybe we need to start a BFT book club. The Twin Thieves by Steve Jones and uh, Lucas uh, Jaden. That's the book, uh, How Great Leaders Build Great Teams. There you have it. I want you to leave it here. You got the bald-faced truth statewide on the BFT Radio Network. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. We all have heard wild recruiting stories. I remember when I was covering Jerry Tarkanian, the late Jerry Tarkanian, who was a legendary basketball coach, uh, Hall of Fame basketball coach in college hoops, national championship, Final Fours, UNLV, uh, all that. Uh, Tark told a great story about recruiting. Like He told a story one time about Frank Sinatra on this show that uh, he was recruiting an Italian kid from... Uh, who was from New York and whose mother loved Frank Sinatra. And and Tark got Frank Sinatra to make a call on his behalf to the mom uh, to try to get the kid to come to UNLV. And uh, Tark told another story. Jim Calhoun, the Connecticut coach, Tark and Calhoun hated each other. Like they had fierce recruiting battles. But maybe uh, there was respect among, uh, I don't want to say thieves, but respect among uh, rule benders. But uh, Calhoun apparently, Tark insisted that Calhoun told a recruit that Jerry Tarkanian was dying of cancer, tried to get him to not go to UNLV because uh, he told Tark, he told the kid that Tark was dying of cancer. I mean, it's cutthroat stuff. So I heard the story of Adrian Peterson's recruitment. It's a wild story. Ed Orgeron talking to Dan Patrick on the Dan Patrick Show. Who broke your heart? Is there one that stands out? Oh, Adrian Peterson. Oh, man, I love them. I love Dazer. Oklahoma better offered a better package no, it, to him. It, this, this is a true story. We go we go down to see Adrian, me and Pete, and uh, his mother ran track at, I think it was at Houston, wonderful lady. And Adrian and I had a great relationship. He loved Pete Carroll, but I felt like he and I were very tight. One time he says, Coach, uh, with this school, he says, Coach, I want you to follow me. I couldn't, I couldn't drive with him. We went 30 miles. I said, I don't know where we're going. We stopped at this little country store, and he bought a gingerbread cookie. I couldn't buy it for him for supper. And then we went to a basketball game. And we sat in the, sat in the, in the gym, and I said, what are we doing? He said, you see that guard right there? I got to play him next week. Coach, come and scout him. How about that? <laughs> then he, I said, well, Adrian, what is the key? to getting you here at USC. He says, Coach, well, Bob Stoops, my dad is incarcerated. Bob Stoops won't see him. Well, me and Pete Carroll tried to go get him. And to go see him, they wouldn't let us in. But Adrian said, Coach, my dad is be able to watch my games where he's at. Well, if I go to Oklahoma, I tried to get the guy transferred to Los Angeles. <laughs> Wait, you tried to get Adrian's dad? Yeah, I tried. 
does that happen? Uh, I competed. <laughs> I competed. Couldn't get it done, but I competed. He competed, but he couldn't get it done. Ed Orgeron attempted to get Adrian Peterson's father transferred to a prison in Southern California so that uh, so that uh, his father could watch him play. And uh, maybe he would have gone to USC if that could have come true. Like, look, anybody who's been around college athletics understands that, like, wild things happen in recruiting. And uh, obviously, I think with name, image, likeness, and the transfer portal on the scene, there begs a discussion here about uh, what has changed. Or is, is recruiting dirtier now than it was once upon a time? Like, I literally wrote... Uh, I wrote a column about recruiting a few weeks ago, and I, I mentioned Jerry Tarkanian as a NIL pioneer. Like, Tark, I, I really do feel like he had uh, some vision here. Like, he would have loved the name-image-likeness era because I do think there was part of Jerry Tarkanian's heart that really did care about kids and really did care especially about kids who had sort of lost their way. And, you know, there was a place for him in college basketball at that time because – he was at UNLV, and he was uh, later at Fresno State, and he was taking in, like, the second-chance kids. He was he was the Father Flanagan of college basketball. Like, he literally was taking kids that had were on their second or third chance, and he was giving them opportunities. Now, with the transfer portal in place and name-image-likeness in place, I like, some stories come to mind. Like, I remember Chris Heron, Rafer Alston, Avondre Jones— uh, you know, the the Fresno State teams that were highly ranked in Tark's tenure uh, on that tour that he did in Fresno, that, you know, there were stories about uh, booster parties that they would have with incoming players, incoming recruits, where, you know, all the boosters would show up and everybody would bring a $100 bill and they would walk around and they would do $100 handshakes with all the recruits. And so... All the recruits, the recruits were walking out of there with three or four or five thousand dollars in hundred dollar bills, and the boosters were walking out of there feeling like you know they had done something in the spirit of name, image, likeness that probably is uh, something that would be more acceptable today. It wasn't acceptable then; it'd be more acceptable today. Now, I've been thinking a lot about the transfer portal, name, image, likeness, coaches, right? Which one's the bigger issue? Coaches will say both. Uh, I think, in part, because we are seeing sort of the evolution of college athletics before our very eyes. You know, we're not we're not sure what it is going to become. Does it become semi-professional sports? Does it become something else? Uh, you know, it is it, it will the NCAA ever grow teeth back in order to legislate some of this stuff? It's ridiculous how off the rails it feels right now. And in fact, Washington State, you know, Cam Cameron Ward and Washington State they're coming to Racer Stadium on Saturday. And Cameron Ward, NIL deal with Washington State and the Cougar Collective, you know, he's got like $80,000 uh, in in uh, revenue, in a deal there. He's got a pickup truck. He's got an apartment. He's got some walking around money. He's got enough money to, you know, be able to fly his parents who are school teachers out to games. And so I, I just think it's it's an interesting time for me especially because I can remember covering Tark and having to watch – what he was doing and what boosters were doing player would show up with a, you know, with a car and you had to ask like, you know, where, how did they get the car? And, uh, it, it was, it was different, man. It was really different time. And I look back now and I can remember sitting and having lunch with Jerry Tarkanian once upon a time. And he was literally lamenting a story about, you know, a kid that he was recruiting who was so poor that 
they were using ketchup for spaghetti sauce when he went over to the house for the home visit. And he was trying to tell me at the time that, you know, the kids need help and that some of these kids, the scholarship's not enough. And there were agents, of course, lurking in the background that were always willing to give advances to players in exchange for those players essentially handshaking and saying, hey, I'll sign with you when when and if I'm ready to be drafted. And the agents would, you know, buy him a suit or give him some, a couple thousand dollars in cash. Or, or in some cases, it was a lot of money, right? It was bags of money. We know now, looking back, some of the corruption that was taking place in college athletics in the 1970s, 1980s, even into the 90s was ridiculous. And I'm just wondering now if any of us thinks that it's going to be any cleaner or any different with name image likeness, the booster collectives. Yeah, it's more out in the open. Like, I think we all know Caleb Williams is getting some deals. We all know the quarterback at Miami got, you know, seven-figure deal. We all know that, you know, the rumors and the and the, you know, the, the players who obviously have deals that are out front and out in the open. But it makes me look back at the 1980s and 1990s a little differently. It makes me look back, I think, with more empathy towards the players who were just, you know, on scholarship. But also, you know, in the background of that, there were boosters who were obviously offering inducements, enticements. There were assistant coaches and coaches who were involved in impropriety and whatnot. The NCAA completely lost its way. Cracked down in the 80s and 90s. You know, investigations were haphazard. You know, in one case, they would be really uh, tough on a school. And in other cases, they seemingly would look the other way. And, you know, I just, I I don't know if this system's any better. I don't know if we're going to have less corruption. But it does feel more out in the open. I think if we're all being honest with each other. But that story with Ed Orgeron and Adrian Peterson and whatnot, I mean, and, and Tark saying he had Frank Sinatra call the recruit's mother to try to, you know, influence her back in the day. Can you imagine that? Um, you know, it, it shows you that, uh, you know, all's fair when it comes to recruiting, right? I want you to leave it here. You got the bald-faced truth statewide. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.